Section 34 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rosator Johnson, and John Rudd. Japanese Repel the Tartars. E.D. 1281. By E.H. Parker. Kublai Khan, the first of the Mongol emperors who reigned at Peking, and Kamiyama, the nineteenth emperor, as reputed of Japan, are supposed to have come to their respective thrones in the same year, 1260. At this period, the Japanese rulers, Mikados, were mere puppets in the hands of their shoguns, hereditary commanders-in-chief of the army, and the shoguns themselves were tools of the regents of the Hojo dynasty. Korea had lately been made tributary to the Tartar or Mongol power, when some of the Koreans in the service of Kublai Khan suggested to him that his way was now open to Japan, 1265. Next year, Kublai selected a chief envoy whose name, as Parker says, appears in Chinese characters precisely the same as that of Sir Robert Hart, and whom the author of the narrative immediately following, in order to avoid uncouth names, designates as Hart. By this envoy, Kublai sent a letter to Japan, and this act was the beginning of the execution of his designs against that country, formed upon the advice of the Koreans. In this letter, the Mongol emperor called upon Japan to return to the vassal duty, which for centuries he claimed she had formerly owned to China. Edward Harper Parker the king of Korea, who had meanwhile been instructed to show the road to the Mongol mission, provided it with two high officers as escort. In 1267, however, Hart and his staff returned to Peking from their wanderings, re-injecta, faithfully accompanied by their Korean guides, whose explanation as to why the goal had not been reached were by no means satisfactory to Kublai. The whole party was dispatched once more to Korea, carrying with them to the king positive instructions to succeed better this time. The wily king of Korea now adopted another tack. He pleaded that the sea route was beset with dangers, to which it would be unseemly to expose the person of an imperial envoy. But he accommodatingly sent the emperor's letter on to Japan by an envoy of his own. This Korean envoy was detained half a year by the Japanese, but he had also to return empty-handed. Meanwhile, the king of Korea sent his own brother on a special mission to Kublai, to endeavor to mollify his Tartar majesty. In the autumn of 1268, Hart and his former assistant colleague were sent a third time, as a surveying party had meanwhile been examining the sea route by way of Colpert Island, the mission was enabled to reach the Tsushima Islands this time, but the local authority would not suffer them to land, or at least to stay nor were the letters accepted, as in the opinion of the Japanese, the phraseology was not considered sufficiently modest. Once more the unsuccessful mission returned to Peking, but on this occasion it was with two Japanese captives, probably spies, for there is plenty of evidence that even then the art was well understood in Japan. In the summer of 1269 it was resolved to utilize these captives as a peg whereupon to hang the conciliatory and virtuous act of returning them. Koreans were entrusted with this mission. But even this letter, 
the Japanese declined to recede, and the envoys were detained a considerable time in the official prisons at Dazaifu, in Xuzen. Early in the year 1270, a Manchu Tartar and Kublai's envoy named Doyaoka, who had already been employed as a kind of resident or advisor at the court of the King of Korea, was dispatched on a solemn mission to Japan, having earnestly volunteered for his new service in spite of his gray hairs. The King of Korea was again ordered to assist, and a Korean and Chinese employee named Hung Sakyo, Marco Polo's von Senishin, was told to demonstrate with a fleet around the Ludong and Korean peninsulas. The envoy is usually called by his adopted Chinese name of Xiaolingpi. The mission landed in the spring of 1271 at an island called Golden Ford, which, according to the Chinese characters, ought, I suppose, to be pronounced Kananari in Japanese. Here the strangers met with a very rough reception. The Tartar, however, kept his head well during the various attempts which were made to frighten him. He pointed out the historical precedents to be found in the annals of previous Chinese dynasties, and firmly declined to surrender his credentials, except at the chief seat of government, and to the king or ruler in person. It seems that even the Japanese now began to see that the honest broker, Korea, was playing false to both sides. At all events, they said that Korea had reported the imminence of a Chinese attack, whereas Kublai's language seemed to deprecate war. Officials from headquarters explained that from ancient times till now, no foreign envoy has ever gone east of the Dazaifu. The reply to this was, If I cannot see a ruler, you had better take in my head, but you shall not have my documents. The Japanese pleaded that it was too far to the ruler's capital, but that in the meantime they would send officers back with him to China. He was thereupon sent back to await events at Tsushima, and having remained there a year, he arrived back in Peking in the summer of 1273. In escorting him to Tsushima, the Japanese had sent with him a number of secondary officials to have an audience of Kublai. It appears that the Japanese had been alarmed at the establishment of a Mongol garrison at King Chao, I suppose the one near Port Arthur, then within Korean dominions, and the Tartar envoy, during his stay in Tsushima, was now sent on the Japanese envoys, or spies, in advance, advising Kublai at the same time to humor Japanese susceptibilities by removing the Kinchao garrison. The cabinet council suggested to Kublai that it would be a good thing to explain to the Japanese envoys that the occupation of Kinchao was only temporary, and would soon be removed so soon as the operations now in process against Kelpert were at an end. It is related that the Japanese interpreters, which probably means Chinese accompanying the Japanese, explained to Kublai that it was quite unnecessary to go round via Korea, and that with a good wind it was possible to reach Japan in a very short time. Kublai said, Then I must think it over afresh. Late in the year 1273, the same Tartar envoy was once more sent to Japan, but it is not stated by what route or where he first landed. This time he really reached the Dazaifu, or capital of Shikuzen. In the same year, and possibly in connection with the above mission, a Chinese general, Lu Dong, with a force of 40,000 men in 900 boats, defeated 100,000 Japanese. It is not stated where. 
I am inclined to think, from the consonants of the word Liu and the nine hundred boats, that this must be the affair mentioned lower down. The Manchu Tartar envoy seems to have been a very sensible sort of man, for not only did he bring back with him full details of the names and titles of the Mikado and his ministers, descriptions of the cities and districts, particulars of national customs, local products, etc., but also strongly dissuaded Kublai from engaging in a useless war with Japan. And he also gave some excellent advice to the celebrated Mongol general Bayen, who was just then preparing to finish off the southern provinces of China. It may not be generally known, but it is a fact that Bayen himself, in the late autumn of 1273, had been originally destined for the Japanese expedition, and the prisoners captured at the first attack of Siang Yangfu, Marco Polo's Sayanfu, had already been handed over to him for service in Japan. The Mongol history also gives a full copy of the letter sent to Japan on this occasion. In it, Kublai expresses his surprise at the persistent ignoring by Japan of his successive missions. He charitably suggests that perhaps the fresh troubles and revolutions in Korea, which have now once more been settled, are more to blame than your own deliberate intentions. The menace of war was a little stronger than in the letter of 1266, but was still decently veiled and somewhat guarded. Before starting, the Manchu had requested that the etiquette to be observed at his audience with the ruler might be laid down. The cabinet council, to be on the safe side, advised, as the relative ranks prevailing in the country are unknown to us, we have no definite etiquette to specify. On the other hand, both Kublai and his ministers were much too sharp to believe in the power of the guardhouse west of the Daizai Fu, and they came to the sensible conclusion that the Japanese envoys were simply war spies sent by the supreme Japanese government itself. Chinese history does not explain why, amid the conflicting counsels exposed above and others mentioned in biographical chapters, Kublai decided to attack Japan at the very moment when Bayan was marching upon South China. But anyway, during the year 1274, large numbers of Manchus were raised for service in Japan and placed under General Hung. Sani Chin may perhaps stand for the Chinese word Qing Chun, or general. It appears that toward the end of that year, 15,000 men in 900 ships made a raid upon some point in Japan. But although a victory is claimed, no details whatever are given beyond the facts that our army showed a lack of order, the arrows were exhausted, we achieved nothing beyond plundering. Three islands raided were Tsushima, Iki, and one I cannot identify, described in Chinese as Iman. The Japanese annals confirm the attack upon Tsushima and Iki, adding that the enemy slew all the males and carried off all the females in the two islands, but were unsuccessful in their advance upon the Dazaifu. The enemy's general, Rufu Heng, was slain. The enemy numbered 30,000. The slain officer was perhaps a relative of Lu Dung, who served again in China. In the year 1275, two more envoys bearing Chinese names were sent with letters to Japan, but they also got no reply. The Japanese annals confirm this and add that they came to discuss terms of peace, but their envoy, Du Shi Chung, whose name corresponds, was decapitated. This is true, but he was not decapitated until 1280, and, as is well known to competent students, 
Japanese history is always open to suspicion when it conflicts with Chinese, and too often touches up from Chinese. In 1277, some merchants from Japan appeared in China, with a quantity of gold, which they desired to exchange for copper cash. The following year the coast authorities, probably meaning at Ningpo and Wenchow, where even now, as I found in 1884, immense quantities of old Japanese copper cash are in daily use, were instructed to permit Japanese trade. But preparations for war still went on, and the headquarters of the army were fixed at Liuyang, where General Kuropatkin fixed his more recently. Naval preparations were particularly active during 1279, and Korea was invited to make arrangements for boats to be built in that country, where timber was so plentiful, evidently alluding to the Russian concessions on the Yalu. Large numbers of ships were also constructed in central China. During this year, a defeated Chinese general in Mongol employ, named Fa Wenhu, advised that the war against Japan should be postponed until the result of our mission, accompanied by the Japanese priest carrying our letters, shall be known. When this priest was appointed, by whom and to do what, there is nothing to show. To a certain extent, this enigmatical sentence is supported by the Japanese annals, which announced that in the summer of 1279, the Mongol generals, Ye Kui and Fan Wenhu, came and sent aides to come to Daizai Fu to discuss peace. But Tokimuni, the regent, had them decapitated Hakata and Skuzen. Ye was certainly another defeated Chinese general, but I do not think he ever went to Japan. It is in the spring of 1280 that the Chinese record the execution by the Japanese of Tzu Chishung, etc., but it is quite evident that Feng Wenhu cannot possibly have been executed in 1279, for later on, in 1280, after Hung Saikyu and others had been appointed to the Japanese expedition, it was decided to wait a little, and Fan Wenhu was consulted as to the best means of attack. Meanwhile, prisoners of war, criminals, Muslims, etc., were enlisted, and volunteers were called for. It is difficult to account for Muslims in such company, for the villainous Saracen Ahmad was just then at the height of his power. The king of Korea, meanwhile, personally paid a visit to Peking and gave the assurance that he was raising 30,000 extra soldiers to serve in the Japan War. Fun Wenhu was now placed in supreme command of 100,000 men. The King of Korea, with 10,000 soldiers, 15,000 seamen, 900 warships, and 110,000 hundredweight of grain, proceeded against Japan. Tsung tsai Kyu and his colleagues were provided with weapons, Korean armor, jackets, etc. The troops were given strict instructions not to harass the inhabitants of Korea. Korean generals received high rank, and the king was given extra honors. In 1281, the generals Hung Tsak-kyu and Hintu, a Uyghur Turk, went in command of a naval force of 40,000 men via Kinchun, Korea. Another force of 100,000 men was sent across the sea from modern Ningpo and Tinghai, the two forces arranging to meet at the islands of Iki and Hirado. Aluan, a Mongol, and Fan Wenhu received in anticipation the honorary titles of left and right governors of Japan province. And when they and the other generals took leave of Kublai, the emperor said, As they had sent us envoys first, we also sent envoys thither, 
but then they kept our envoys and would not let them go. Hence I send you, gentlemen, on this errand. I understand the Chinese say that when you take another people's country, you need to get both the people and the land. If you go and slay all the people and only secure the land, what use is that? There is another matter upon which I feel truly anxious. That is, I fear want of harmony among you, gentlemen. If the natives of that country come to discuss any matter with you, gentlemen, you should join your minds for one common plan and reply as though one mouth only had to speak. When the army, after a week's sail from Tinghai, reached the islands of Kutsi, off Masanpo and Tsushima, some Japanese stranded fishermen were caught and forced to sketch a map of the localities, and meanwhile it had been agreed that the island of Iki was a better rendezvous than Kinchu in Korea, on account of the then prevailing winds. From the Japanese sailor sketch, it appeared that a little west of the Dazaifu was the island of Hirado, which, being surrounded on all sides with plenty of water, afforded a good anchorage for the ships. It was decided, subject apparently to Kublai's approval, to occupy Hirado first, and then summon General Hung, etc., from Iki to join in general attack. Kublai replied by the messenger in effect, I cannot judge here of the situation there. I presume Aloan and his colleagues ought to know, and they must decide for themselves. Meanwhile, Alohan, written also Alahan, had fallen sick and died at Ningpo, and another Mongol named Atahai, written also Antahai, was sent to replace him. Now comes the sudden collapse of the whole expedition, recorded, unfortunately, in most laconic and unsatisfactory terms. I give the various extracts in extenso. 1. Chapter on Japan. Eighth Moon. The generals, having before coming in sight of the enemy, lost their entire force, got back. They said that having reached Japan, they wished to attack Daizaifu, but that a violent wind smashed the ships, that they were still bent on discussing operations when three of their commanders, Chinese names, declined to accept their orders any more and made off. The provincial staff conveyed the rest of the army to Ho Pu, probably Masan Po whence they were dismissed back to their homes. But one of the defeated soldiers who succeeded in escaping home gave the following account. The imperial armies in the sixth moon put to sea. In the seventh moon they reached Hirado Island, and then moved to five dragon mountains. The Japanese pronunciation would be Goryushima, or Yama, and perhaps it means the Gotu Islands. On the first of the eighth moon the wind smashed the ships. On the fifth day, Fan Wenhu and the other generals each made a selection of the soundest and best boats, and got into them, and abandoned the soldiers to the number of over one hundred thousand at the foot of the hills. The soldiers then agreed to select the centurion Chang as general in command, and styled him General Chang, submitting themselves to his orders. They were just engaged in cutting down trees to make boats to come back in, when on the seventh day the Japanese came and gave battle. All were killed except twenty thousand or thirty thousand who were carried off prisoners. On the ninth day, these got to the eight Horn Islands, the Japanese pronunciation would be Hakakushima, where all the Mongols, Koreans, and men of Han, North China, were massacred. It was understood that the newly recruited army consisted of men of Tang, Cantonese, etc. They were not killed, 
but turned into slaves, of whom deponent was one. The trouble arose from want of harmony and subordination in the general staff, in consequence of which they abandoned the troops and returned. After some time, two other stragglers got back. That is, out of a host of one hundred thousand, only three ever returned. 2. Chapter on the Uyghur General, Xianggui. In 1281, the sea force of one hundred thousand men under Fan Wenhu, etc., took seven days and nights to reach Bamboo Island. The Japanese pronunciation would be Shikshishima, perhaps is another form of Tsuchima, where they effected a junction with the forces of the provincial staff from Laoyang. It was the intention to first attack the Dazaifu, but there was vacillation and indecision. And on the first day of the eighth moon a great typhoon raged, and sixty or seventy percent of the army perished. The emperor was furious, etc. 3. Chapter on Li Ding, a Shangdong man, who was on Fan Wenhu's staff. In 1281 the army encamped on Bamboo Island, but a storm arising, the vessels were all smashed. Li Ding escaped ashore in a piece of wreckage, collected the remains of the host, and returned via Korea to Peking. Only ten to twenty percent of the soldiers escaped alive, apparently referring to the forty thousand, not to the one hundred thousand. 4. Chapter on the Shili Man Changhi. He accompanied Fan Wenhu and Li Ding with the naval force which crossed the sea against Japan. Ching He, on arrival, at once left his boats and set to work entrenching on the island of Hirado. He also kept his warships at anchor at a cable's length from each other, so as to avoid the destructive action of wind and waves. When the great typhoon arose in the eighth moon, the galleons of Fan and Li were all smashed. Only Chang He's escaped uninjured. When Fen Wen Hu, etc., suggested going back, Chang He said, Half the soldiers are drowned, but those who have escaped death are all sturdy troops. Surely it is better for us to take advantage of this moment before they have begun to think regretfully of home, to live on the enemy's country in advance. Fen Wen Hu, etc., would not agree to this and said, When we see the emperor, we will bear all the blame. You have no share in it. Shang He gave them a number of his boats. At that instant there were four thousand soldiers encamped on Hirado Island without any boats. Shang He said, How can I bear to leave them? And then he jettisoned all the seventy horses in the boats in order to enable them to get back. When they got to Peking, Fan Wen Hu, etc., were all disgraced. Only Shang He escaped punishment. 5. Chapter on Chu Ting and Anhui Mian he was with Fan Wuhen's force when the sudden storm arose. His craft was smashed, but Chu Ding got hold of a piece of wreckage and drifted about for three days and three nights until he fell in with Fan Wuhen's ship at a certain island and thus was able to get to Kin Chou in Korea. The soldiers encamped in the Hoku Bay also drifted in and were collected and taken home by him. Chapter on Hong Tsuki, alias Hung Tsakyu, in Korean of ancient Chinese descent. After recounting how Kublai placed him in charge of the well-disposed Korean troops, how he served in the Korean and Kelpart campaigns, and against Japan in 1274 and 1277, the Mongol history goes on. In 1281, in company with Hintu, a Uyghur, he led a naval force of 40,000 men via Kinchu and Hopu in Korea to join the 100,000 men coming by sea from Ningpo under Fan Wenhu. 
forces were joined at the Iki, Hirado, and other islands of Japan, but before the hostile forces were encountered, in the eighth month, a storm smashed the ships, and he returned. Extract from Japanese Ryokuji, or Historical Handbook. In the fifth moon of 1281, the Mongols raided us on a wholesale scale. Our troops were unsuccessful in resisting them at Iki and Tsushima. The enemy advanced and occupied five dragon mountains in Hizen. The Hojo Tandai led the troops bravely to the fight. The enemy retired upon Takashima. In the intercalary seventh moon, a great wind blew. The enemy's warships were all broken to pieces. Our troops energetically attacked and cut them up, the sea being covered with prostrate corpses. Of the Mongol army of 100,000, only three men got back alive. Henceforward, the Mongols were unable to pry about our coasts again. End of section 34